You're listening to Ecotones Now. We're a 100% independent, volunteer-run podcast companion to the award-winning site Environmental History Now, a platform to showcase the work and expertise of graduate students and early career scholars who identify as women, trans, and or non-binary people. I'm Emma Mosswild. I'm Natalie Jo Rose Wilkinson. And we're your hosts for this season, Our Community's Voices. Today, Luisa Hayes Castro shares mosquitoes, pathogens, and that which divides Brazil. December 2015, I was flying from the U.S. to Brazil for the holidays. Once I landed, I was greeted by a large poster alerting travelers about the increased risk of bites from Aedes aegypti mosquitoes. A new virus was now circulating in the country, Zika. Just a week before this trip, during an end-of-the-semester party in Cambridge, Massachusetts, I had told my friends, colleagues, and professors about a strange disease emerging in Brazil. I mentioned that women were being advised to not get pregnant, although abortion was, and still is, a punishable crime in the country. Not only had my friends not heard of the pathogen, they also didn't know that the Brazilian health minister was linking Zika with health issues in fetuses and newborn babies. The virus and its epidemic had not reached their international notoriety yet. So as I talked to them, I explained that Zika had become an ubiquitous topic in the news and conversations across Brazil, the foremost health concern in the country. At that point, there were several uncertainties about the virus. There still are many. However, the Aedes aegypti, the insect known to transmit the viruses causing dengue and chikungunya, had already been identified as the vector. Thus, fears of its spite had amplified. Amidst the alarm, the search for insect repellent skyrocketed. It disappeared from shelves, and when it was available, prices were often ridiculously high. So I told my friends that the suitcase I was taking to Brazil was packed with an array of different types of repellents, DEET, picaridin, and plant-based. I had received requests to bring it for friends, relatives, relatives of friends, and friends of relatives. People who I loved, but also who I didn't even know, and people who I knew had very different opinions about the country's health politics. It did not matter. We all agreed that Zika was a concern to be taken seriously. A few weeks after I arrived in Brazil, the national government launched a campaign to address Zika and the other arboviruses transmitted by the Aedes aegypti. Their slogan was, Um mosquito não é mais forte que um país inteiro, or a mosquito is not stronger than an entire country. This country, supposed to rally against the mosquito, was, however, a shattered one. 
Juma Hussefi was the president at the time, and she and her party, the Workers' Party, had been enduring strong opposition coming from the streets, from the media, from the, from the judiciary, and from many of her fellow elected representatives. Scholars, pundits, and some of my interlocutors, such as government employees from the Ministry of Health, have pointed out that Hussef government attempted to use the Zika epidemic response as a way to unify the country, to bring together a polarized nation under a common enemy. But it did not work, and a lot has changed since then. First, Hussefi is no longer Brazil's president. She was impeached in 2016 after a controversial and contested process that many have defined to have been a golpe. The successor was her vice president, Michel Temer, who had another party affiliation. He heralded a pro-business agenda and austerity measures. Although the impeachment marked a sharp shift in public policies, Temer also tried to use the epidemic response in a once again failed effort to unify the country, as well as legitimize his extremely unpopular government. As the historian Gabriel Lopez and I have noted in the book chapter on the topic, the Zika epidemic, and in particular, the health issues the virus can cause, were implicated in the political polarization which had intensified during the impeachment's orchestration. On the left side, feminists insisted on the need to decriminalize, legalize abortion as a social justice issue since poor, mostly black and brown women, were unequally harmed by both the procedure's illegality and the impacts of Zika. On the right, religious, mostly evangelical leaders and other conservatives called for even more restrictive access to abortion since it could be used as a so-called eugenic tool against disabled children, like those with congenital Zika virus syndrome. The country's polarization and strengthening of conservative forces were further galvanized in 2018 with the election of the far-right president, Jair Bolsonaro. Similar to what has happened in WhatsApp family groups across the country, I saw myself having heated debates with relatives who were ardent supporters of Bolsonaro's agenda. And now, I am no longer on speaking terms with several of the people for whom I smuggle insect repellent across borders. As the political scientist and congresswoman Aurea Carolina has pointed out, Bolsonaro is not an anomaly that suddenly swept and corrupted our neighbors and family members. Much like Trump in the United States, Bolsonaro is a symptom. His presidency is the reification of a country built through indigenous dispossession and exploitation of enslaved people and their descendants. A country marked by the brutal oppression of LGBTQI people and women, especially indigenous and black women. Bolsonaro exposes Brazil's true colors, forcing Brazilians, especially white Brazilians who might have been able to ignore the country's brutal past and present, to reckon with the country's violent history and its still violent existence. And while a lot might have changed in the political sphere, Brazil continues to struggle with mosquito-borne diseases. 
In June, scientists identified a new strain of the Zika virus, which could cause a new epidemic. The cases of dengue and chikungunya this year are high, although they are overshadowed by another, even more worrisome pathogen, the new coronavirus, and Brazil's negligent and deadliest response, or lack of it, to its pandemic. There is now not even a performative effort to unify the country. Bolsonaro has responded to the coronavirus with bluntly false anti-scientific solutions. Since the beginning, the president has dismissed the epidemic. His supporters, including some of my relatives, even questioned the staggering tragic number of more than 120,000 deaths in the country. As it is always the case in Brazil, indigenous people, women, and especially people living in poverty, most of them black, are bearing the bulk of the epidemic's burden. A recent study in the city of Sao Paulo has shown that 22% of residents from lower-income neighborhoods and 18% from middle-income ones have antibodies. However, in parts of the city with higher income, this number lowers to 9%. In other words, in a country with such a divisive president, there's also two very different kinds of COVID-19 epidemics happening. One, dangerous and deadly, has been striking those that have always been dismissed and disregarded throughout Brazil's history. Another has been hovering around those who can afford to protect themselves and to pay for better health care, and who are waiting, maybe hoping, for a herd immunity that would be reached through the thousands of deaths in the country. The country is not united. It has never been anything other than divided. And the issue was never the mosquito after all. so grateful to our guests for sharing their work with us today. You can find information about them, links to further reading, and a text version of the piece in the show notes. This work was originally published on the Environmental History Now website, alongside so many other brilliant and thought-provoking pieces, which you can explore at envhistnow.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at ENVHIST now. We'll see you soon with more community voices. This show is produced and edited by Emma Mosswild and Natalie Jo Rose Wilkinson, with music provided by Natalie Jo Rose Wilkinson and Christine Murphy. Special thanks to Elizabeth Hemateman, to this season's contributors, and to you for listening.